My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Today is on the church calendar, the Feast of St. James the Apostle, the brother of uh, St. John. And uh, I sent the wrong scriptures, so I apologize for the change that you have different from the bulletin. This morning, I'm going to be preaching from the text according to St. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, and a little bit from Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 12, 3, which Cindy read so well a few moments ago. The title of my sermon this morning is The Request. So have you ever asked for something that you thought that you wanted and then you did not get what you asked for, whether it be from a parent or a friend? How did that make you feel when you didn't get what you asked for? Maybe a little angry? Maybe a little sad? If you were a parent, have you ever gone to your child's teacher because they got a bad grade and then you tried to fight the bad grade even if that bad grade was a result of your child being a bad student and not doing the work? Have you ever prayed to God and asked him for a particular person, for a spouse? Our lives are filled with requests that do not get dealt with in the way we want or answered in the way we want. So imagine in the first scenario, you asked a friend or a relative for money, but for them to do it would impoverish them. And in the second scenario, your child passed the class after you argued for a grade they didn't deserve, only for them to fail after being advanced. And in the third scenario, you got the person you wanted, only to find out there are deep problems relationally and emotionally. And these are silly examples, of course, but I think we see echoes of this in the reading from the Gospel of St. Matthew that we heard this morning. And what's interesting about the reading from the Gospel of, uh, from St. Matthew we heard this morning is how we see the outcome of that story playing out in the book of Acts with the same characters. And in the story we hear from Matthew's Gospel, James and John's mother come to Jesus and bows down before him. Okay, so right away, Jesus is like, okay, something's up, what do you want? Have ever had somebody ever come to you and be like, Floyd, you're so great. You're such a snappy dresser. I really, I really like the way you carry yourself. What kind of car do you drive? Oh, it's the best car. You would think that, okay, this person is clearly up to something and wants something for me. But they come to she comes to Jesus and she bows down before him. And she says, after he asks her, what do you, what would, what's up? <laughs> That's my paraphrase, what's up? She said, say that my two sons are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And that sounds sort of like a benign question, doesn't it? Like reading it as modern readers, that doesn't really sound like that big of a deal. Yeah, when you come into your kingdom, let my one son stand at your right and let my other son stand at your left. You could do that for them, right, Jesus? That's, that shouldn't be a problem. And what's interesting about this story is that in Matthew 20, earlier in the chapter, Jesus had told the parable of the just vineyard owner who pays all of the workers the same wage even if they came in and only worked for an hour. Right, the point being that the vineyard owner is generous 
and will give what he has decided he will give to all who work for him. Immediately after that parable, Jesus tells the disciples, I am going up to Jerusalem to be captured and crucified and resurrected. So it's right after all of this is that James and John's mother makes this request to Jesus. And it's a bold, if misguided, request. And also she's doing it, right? It's obvious from reading the story that she's not doing it because she wants to do it. I think it's kind of obvious from the story that they're putting her up to do it, that they want to ask Jesus this, but instead they use somebody else to ask for them. What she's asking, and the reason why this question is, is such a big deal from the way it sounds to our modern ears, is that she's asking that when Jesus' kingdom, when, when it comes in its fullness, She's asking for her two sons to share power with him. Hence, the right hand and the left hand. She's asking them that they would re asking for them to receive positions over uh, of authority and rulership over others. And this comes right on the heels of the generous vineyard owner parable. The lesson has not been learned. When you read in the scriptures this imagery particularly of the right hand and to plug the revelation class that we're doing we see this imagery the, the, the God the Father is sitting on the throne holding the scroll in his right hand right and the lamb comes and receives the scroll from his right hand and he opens it and he reads it and the right hand in this context is it indicates power and authority and rulership. And I could be wrong, this isn't in my notes. I could be wrong, I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. You can check and get back to me. But in, in, in the Hebrew court, right, the kings of Israel, the person who would stand at the king's right hand would be the queen mother. Not the queen, the wife, but the queen mother. And then I believe the one who would stand on the left hand, I think would be um, one of the prophets. That would be like his counselor, right? So when we think in the biblical story, okay, these two positions. They're asking for positions that don't quite belong to them. And there are some Christians who have looked at this story and said, well, in Christian theology and Christian history, you know, the Virgin Mary has been identified as the Queen Mother and John the Baptist has been identified as the prophet, right? So those are, they're actually asking for positions that belong to other people. But this question shows that the disciples they do not understand what the kingdom of God is and what it means to serve in the kingdom of God. Because remember, they have in their minds that Jesus is a messianic figure, and he is, but what's in their minds is he is a military messianic figure like David, who's going to raise armies and going to drive out all of the Romans, and he's going to be crowned king, and then all nations will come and be subservient to him in God's new kingdom. That's what's in their minds when they're thinking about power and authority. And we know this because in the book of Acts, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, the disciples say, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And Jesus does one of these. And then he says, I can't wait for the Holy Spirit to come and explain everything I've been trying to tell you for the past three years. That's my translation. Jesus turns to them and says, you do not know what you are asking. 
are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said, we are able. Not only do they not know what they are asking, they do not know what it means to share in the cup, which we know and what he's been telling them, what he's just told them is the cup of suffering and death, not the cup of victory. Even though the cup of suffering and death is the cup of victory. But it's a victory that in the eyes of witnesses doesn't look like a victory. And they respond with, yes, we are able to drink the cup. And Jesus responds with, you will. Pretty ominous, I think. You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Right, so God actually has two people in mind to sit at Christ's right hand and his left hand in glory. And it's not them. And brothers and sisters, here's the thing. They are not able. And they know that they're not able, but they think they are. And I think that this is a powerful example of how sometimes the false image of ourselves makes us write checks with our mouth that our bodies can't cash. If I could use a, a cliched example there. Jesus knows they're not able and we see this at his arrest in the garden. What happens when Jesus is arrested in the garden? What does everybody do? They scatter. They scatter, every single one of them. I think John actually eventually comes back and follows them at a distance. But they all run away. They're not able to drink the cup. Even Peter, right? He, he, or, or, I, I think, no, not Peter. I, I think it's Thomas. Like in another part of the, uh, of the, of the, the scriptures, you know, Jesus is like, well, let's, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem and die. And I think it's St. Thomas is like, well, let's go die with him. And you're like, no, you're not. You're going to run away. And they do. A commentator I read, he said something along the lines of, this type of attitude is similar to somebody who thinks that war is desirable, right? You may know a person who, who, who's thinking about enlisting in the military and they have this idea from movies and video games that like war is sort of like this sanitized, bloodless thing and it's going to be fun and exciting. But when that, they think what's fun and exciting, when they finally get into it and they're thrust into war, they find that it's the complete opposite of fun and exciting and that the effects of it stick with them long after. That kind of attitude. The disciples then hear about what happens and it makes them angry and they start fighting with James and John. Bro, like, what's up? Like, why are you trying to get ahead of us? And Jesus has to step in and calm them and he, he teaches them that the way that power and authority is exercised in his kingdom is by service through love, not by seeking position and power. Authority in the kingdom of God comes with love. And this is all tied in with his own act of serving them, his own act of self-giving love on the cross for them and for all humanity in giving his life as a ransom for many. As he says in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's talk a little bit about what happens to St. James after this. We know that church history tells us that St. John, they tried to martyr him several times. Several times. They try to boil him in oil, but it doesn't do anything to him. 
And so eventually they're like, well, we, the Romans, they're trying to kill him and he doesn't die. So they exile him to Patmos, which is where he has uh, the apocalyptic vision, which has come to us in the book of Revelation, which we're going through on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Please join us if you are able. So we know what happens to John. He eventually dies of old age, but he does drink the cup of suffering himself. And St. James drinks the cup of suffering too. The difference being this time he's able to bear it. James's path takes him in a different direction. Herod, the ruler of Judea, who was given that area by the Romans, he was a, a puppet governor put in there by the Romans, in an effort to curry favor with the local Judeans, he begins to persecute many in the growing early church. And one of the things that he does is to curry favor, because that was something the Herods were always trying to do, is make the people like them because, surprise, surprise, Herod was a terrible ruler and his sons were terrible rulers, just as the Romans were terrible rulers. But he's always, the Herods are always trying to do things to make people like them. And in an effort to curry favor, he has St. James beheaded. He's not the first martyr of the church, that's St. Stephen, but he's one of the earliest martyrs of the church. He has him beheaded. See, St. James wasn't ready earlier to drink the cup he asked for because he didn't understand what he was asking for. But now at the end, at the end he understood. Because he learned to reign with Christ we have to first die with Christ. To reign with Christ, we have to die with Christ. And at times in history, it has come to the place where we may have to die for Christ. St. James did drink the cup. The request, though not granted at the time, led him to conquer in the same way his Lord Jesus laid out for him. Here's the interesting thing about St. James and about this idea that he had about ruling and reigning with St. John at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. Not to mention Revelation again. It's in my mind because we're reading and studying it on Wednesday nights. But there's a few scenes in Revelation. There's one that talks about the 24 elders before the throne of God. And so a lot of people have thought about this. A lot of scholarship has been done on this. And... It's, it's interesting that out of the 24, that's 12, half of them, would be the 12 tribes of Israel, right? The sons of Jacob. Judah, Dan, Benjamin, etc., etc., etc. Don't make me name all 12. <laughs> tribes of Israel, right? The heads of the tribes. Who do you think the other 12 are? Why does Jesus call 12 apostles? Because of what? There's 12 tribes. Jesus calls 12 apostles. St. James is one of those apostles. We see a vision in heaven. And in this vision of heaven, before the throne of God, we see the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, and we see the 12 apostles. And who is seated in glory with a golden crown before the throne, who the Lamb walks up and takes the scroll from the Father sitting on the throne? Who is one of those 12? James and John. 
See, it was always God's plan for them to rule and to reign in glory. But the way to rule and reign in glory in Christ's kingdom is not exercised through abuse of power or manipulation. The way power is exercised in the kingdom of God is through loving service to God and to one another. St. James and John were not able to drink the cup, but eventually they were, and they did. And the cup of suffering was a path that was laid out for every single one of the apostles. Every single one except St. John were martyred for Christ gladly. You know, St. Peter, even he's, he hears they're going to kill him, so he leaves Rome. And he has a vision of Jesus carrying his cross into the city of Rome. And he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, to die. And Peter turns around, goes back into the city, and is crucified for Christ. The cup of suffering. See, last week we talked about approaching Jesus, about sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? And oftentimes we approach Jesus when we want something. Not to sit at his feet. We come to him and we say, Lord, give me this. Lord, grant me that. We don't approach Jesus to sit at his feet and receive life from him. And oftentimes we ask for things that we are not prepared to handle. Things that he may be willing to give us in the future. But that's besides the point because, brothers and sisters, the answers to those requests only come in and through how we conform our lives to Jesus Christ. The request will be fulfilled, but not in a way that we expect. And in a sense, that's what the whole of the Christian life is, brothers and sisters. You know, we use this explicit image, uh, this explicit language when we're baptized. We say that when we are baptized, we are dying with Christ. And when we rise from the waters, we are being raised from the waters. Right? Here we don't really do full immersion baptism, but we still do baptism because um, this is one of the traditional ways the church has done it, by pouring water on the head, right? When we're pouring water on the head and on the baby in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dying with Christ and being raised with Christ. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And the whole of the Christian life is the living out of that pattern. Dying to ourselves, dying to our desires, mortifying our sin, putting to death what is wicked in us, enabled by the indwelling Holy Spirit that we have been given. As we prepare ourselves for life in the age and in the world to come. And so let us, brothers and sisters, let us not waste the time that God has given us. Let us use the time wisely. So as the psalmist say, we may gain hearts of wisdom. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's Stone Church. 
We're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.